morning is kind of an important day to us um, here at OGCC. This is basically when we, uh, you might call it like buy-in Sunday, um, where every year um, on the last day of our identity series, uh, we basically lay out our upcoming needs and uh, uh, just the needs the church has. And if you consider Open Table Community Church to be your church home, we ask you to buy in. Um, once a year, you know, uh, one year it was financial. We were getting ready to remodel this building and um, we took uh, an offering and pledges to, to kind of get this space remodeled. Uh, more often than not, we're asking for everybody to jump in and join the work um, to kind of help uh, make church happen. It takes a lot of people um, to make this happen every year. And so we, we ask for help. One of my favorite parts of the service is that I also get a chance to kind of brag on some of the uh, ministries we have going on and tell you what's happening in the other parts of the building um, while you're up here. So it's basically just time for us to do some family business um, on on this Sunday, the last week of, of our uh, identity series every year. Um, and just kind of check in with OTCC and our people here. And this year, um, we're looking at who we are as a church, this whole series, through the outline of the three H's, head, heart, and hands. Um, we talked two weeks ago about um, how Bible study has always been um, kind of central here at OTCC. Um, this is partially because we're quickly becoming a biblically illiterate society. Um, it's, it's, the effects are evident everywhere. It's scary. Um, according to every survey on the books, not only has personal and small group Bible study fallen off dramatically in the last 20 years, but fewer and fewer churches are teaching real significant portions of Scripture. It's far more common to hear one or two, three verses pulled from here and here to kind of support and back a, a more of a self-help type message. Um, and to have personal and small group study falling off at the same time churches are preaching less scripture, you can't have those two things together. That's not good. Um, historically, at least from the Reformation forward, um, when literacy was low, when not very many people read, and so personal Bible study was really low, um, Sunday morning, Sunday school was normal. You had Sunday school, and then the sermons were long and, and covered a lot of, of content in Scripture. On top of that, um, and I'm tiptoeing onto my Saint series just a little bit, but when literacy was low, when not that many people, see, we, it's kind of funny. A lot of times we talk about, you know, reading your Bible, have a devotion time, you know, personal Bible time. That's pretty much brand new in church history. Um, it wasn't until 500 years ago that you could own a personal Bible. Um, the Bible was in Latin. Almost nobody normal spoke Latin. Um, and it was another 300 years before literacy caught up. So it, it was pretty uncommon for your average Christian to just read their own Bible and study on their own. Um, we generally read the the really educated people who did read and write about it, but your average person didn't wasn't capable of doing their own personal Bible study until about 200 years ago when literacy kind of caught up to the church. So this thing that we think of as being totally normal is pretty much brand new. And, and, and because of this, this is one of the reasons why the music back then was so full of theology. They, the, the hymns they wrote were, were a product of study and, and good theological depth. And part of that was a lot of people couldn't read. And so the song that would get stuck in your head that you would sing all day was also a Bible study. They made sure that the music you, you hummed while you were farming was theological music. So they packed Bible studies into their, into their hymns um, because not a lot of people could read, but everybody can sing. And so you're singing this this super rich, you know, Bible study type music that's beautiful. Um, and so, but as literacy began to kind of become the norm instead of the exception, personal Bible study did pick up. Um, uh, you know, 100 years ago or so, 150 years ago, it was common for everybody to have a Bible and people to read the Bible at night and people to read the Bible with their kids. And, and uh, the first schools used the Bible as their first reading textbooks. And so uh, biblical literacy went way, way up. Um, and uh, people would even read, you know, some of the, uh, the commentaries got popular with average believers. Um, and with this trend, with personal Bible study, the sermon kind of adjusted accordingly. Um, more exhortation and motivation crept into the sermon. Um, it was less, this is what the Bible says, and more, you know what the Bible says, now do it. You know, the, the sermon kind of became less teaching and more motivational and, and uh, more preaching instead of teaching. 
And uh, in a strongly biblical, literate culture, I don't know that that's a bad thing. When everybody pretty much knows the scripture, I don't know that an that a exhortation from the pulpit is a bad thing. But the past hundred years, obviously getting worse each decade, personal Bible reading and study has dropped off dramatically. Sunday school is almost altogether gone. Small groups have even gone way down in attendance over the last 20 years. And honestly, the small group movement was started probably 50 years ago or so as a recognition that Sunday mornings were turning into an evangelistic and celebratory service. There wasn't much depth going on. And so they started small groups as a chance to get people to go deeper and and study more. Now those are going away. So the fact that fewer and fewer people are engaging in small groups is pretty spooky. And this is uh, a little more subjective, but even the books people do read, because Christian book sales are still high, it's still a billion dollar industry, but the books that people do read are getting, um, compared to maybe 50 years ago, the, the content is, is thinning. It's getting more motivational, it's getting more self-help, it's getting less biblical depth, and this is what the Bible says, and more, you know, how do I live um, a certain way. And I don't say any of this to bash the American church or make anybody feel um, that they you know, need to be doing more personal Bible study, though that's not a bad idea. Um, I say this um, to explain why we do some things here at Open Table the way we do. Sometimes prayers of the people feels like it goes a long time. Uh, think about that for a minute, though. Like, have we gotten so hustle-bustle, so, so hurry, 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 rush, rush, that pausing in the middle of a service to talk to God bugs us now? Like, like oh, God, it's taking forever. Like, have our, has our prayer time gotten so thin that, or, you know, and so some of the things we do here are to push against that. Like, so, so I, I suggest to you, when that happens to you, lean into that. Can, can, a, can a fussing child really pull you out of God's presence that quickly? And when it does, question, God, what's going on with me? That I can't find you when a kid's making noise. Has my attention span gotten that bad? Help me, God, lean into this moment and be present. Don't just sit there and go, man, will somebody shut that kid up? Like, like lean in and go, what's wrong with me that, uh, that one fussing child can yank me out of God's presence that quick? That's why I don't even recognize his presence anymore because, I'm, I'm, because my attention span's so thin. Like, it, it's an opportunity when we come and, and you feel yourself go, man, this prayer's going on forever. Like, question yourself. Go, what's, is, is my prayer life so thin that five minutes is too much? Like, and, and, and let that, you know, ask God, what's going on in me? What's going on in me? Am I, am I in that big of a hurry to get to the Chiefs game? Yeah, that's worth hurrying for. But anything else? Like, you know, like, God, help me. Help me to settle into this moment and let prayer be a, a part of who I am. Let, uh, let that happen. So, um, you know, in, in the news, of what was a 30-second soundbite in the news just 20, 30 years ago is now down to seven seconds. They know if they can't say it in seven seconds, somebody's moved on. Like, they, our attention span is, is getting shorter and shorter. Like, we're starting to use TikTok for, like, recipes and DIYs. Like, because YouTube takes too long. Like, people are going to, like, I, and I do this all the time. I'll go to, I'll go to YouTube for, like, how to fix my car. And it's like a 12 minute video. And I'm like, and he's like introducing his channel at the beginning of the thing. Hey, if you like and smash the thing. And I'm like, come on, dude, get to the, get to the repair. I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time for a 12-minute YouTube video. Like, let's get this down to three minutes. Come on. Like, our attention span is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, and so in response to that kind of ever-shortening attention span, um, comes with our biblical kind of ignorance that's, that's happening in our culture. I, I don't think the answer is to reduce church to TikTok. I don't think the answer is to, to shorten everything as, as short as we can get it. You know, so that we can all get in, get out, get what we need, get out, move. Um, I was watching a video this week uh, of this guy who was teaching and training in China. And for this training event, they showed up at 8.30 and expected him to teach till 5.30. Like, it was an all-day thing. And, they, and, uh, and when the actual congregations meet, it's never less than four hours. Um, and Esther's got a, a cousin who's a missionary in Africa. Their Sunday morning church is an all-day event. And, and a lot of them walk for two hours to get there, and they're excited to get there, and they worship and celebrate together for six, eight hours before they walk home. Um, uh, so, you know, many of us are old enough that we remember when regular church attendance meant three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
Um, if nothing special was going on, you were expected to be here at least that much. That's what it meant to be a, a regular church attender. And so although I try every week to like shorten my messages, I know they can go a little long sometimes. Um, but, uh, and, and I do try to keep them short, but I also feel like that tension is healthy. I feel like that tension of, of when you feel yourself wanting to rush and you feel yourself like, why is this taking so long? It's okay to go, God, why am I in such a hurry? Like, why do I have such a hard time settling into your presence and, 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 and taking some time for you to, to, so if we're going to push against, we're going to combat the pace of this culture, I think the Word of God is a great place to do it. To slow down and, and, and get some scripture. Um, incidentally, there was this quote this week by Charles Spurgeon, who's, who's, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he's, he's also kind of credited for being the father of the modern sermon with all of its kind of dramatic flair and clever word plays and the outlines that guys do where everything starts with the same letter. Spurgeon kind of started that. He's a very um, uh, poetic uh, preacher. Um, but he was often criticized for preaching short sermons. Like back then, the sermons were, were long, and he preached really short sermons, um, or comparatively short sermons. And this is what he had to say when they, whenever they would criticize him. I thought this was awesome. A man with a great deal of well-prepared matter will probably not exceed 40 minutes. When he has less to say, he'll often go for 50. When he has absolutely nothing to say, he'll need at least an hour to say it in. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. Um, <laughs> a couple things about that. First, ouch. Um, second, <laughs> he got criticized for preaching short sermons of only 40 minutes. Um, it was very common back then for a sermon to be at least an hour um, and I, I did look, and his sermons were about 5,600 year, words, which are about what most of mine are. Um, but he could talk at 140 words a minute. I can only pull off about 125. So not that I obsess over things like this or anything. But um, all, that, <laughs> all that to say, the fact that we tend to be long here at Open Table, um, the fact that our prayers can take a minute, um, worship can go on for a little while, our preaching is a little bit long, these aren't because I have no concept of time, or at least that's not the only reason. Um, it's because we recognize the trends of our culture, and we're intentionally pushing back. We're trying to stop and breathe in God's presence for a minute and be countercultural. We want to slow down and honor God's presence, especially His Word. Um, and when you feel that tug of time and frustration, and the world outside is just spinning and things are moving, like recognize that tension and lean into it. Face it. Chooses like an act of your will to stop and settle in and say, this is important. God's word is important. It's important for me to, to be here and do this. Um, what I choose to put in my mind is what I transform into. And that's important. We've been, we talked about that. Um, so no, I'll continue to try and shorten my messages. I will say at Open Table Community Church, we'll continue to study scripture together. It's, it'll be something we'll always do. Um, uh, we fight hard not to reduce things down to, um, to the little catchy, cute, um, you know, sermon series, but, but try to tackle some real um, scripture together. And then last week we shifted to our hearts, primarily recognizing that our hearts are deceitful and sinful and hard and stony. And, and the greatest gift of the gospel is a new, tender, fleshy heart. Um, and this heart, this kind of transformed heart is a gift of grace. It's something that God does for us. We don't just change our own hearts. Um, we don't, as an act of will and determination, change to become more like Jesus. Um, instead, we accept the gift of change um, as we focus on God's Word and allow Him to kind of transform us by the renewing of our mind. Here at OTCC, that basically translates into authenticity. Um, not necessarily the fun social media buzzword, um, but the uncomfortable, sometimes painful surrender um, that that has to happen for us to both be ourselves and let other people be themselves. It's brutally hard. It sounds nice. Just come as you are. We just sang that. Come as you are. Um, but it's hard. Control is much easier. Control is much, much easier. Setting a standard and expecting people to meet the expectation is so much easier. Um, it, it has a measurable metric and a clear-cut consequence if you don't measure up. Um, and, the, and at the very least, if people don't measure, they'll learn to fake it, which still feels comfortable, because um, at least you don't have to look at it. Uh, but... Um, but letting people be right where they are with their doubts and fears, their hurts and hang-ups, their bad theology and even worse behavior, that's hard. It's hard to deal with. Um, but here's the deal. 
Um, we don't allow people to come as they are just because we don't think that doubts and fears are, are important. We do. We, we think it's important to combat those things. We don't allow for authenticity because we don't think that God can heal hurts and hang-ups. We do believe that. We value good theology and holy behavior. But the reason we desire authenticity is because, first, we recognize that we need it. We all need the grace of God. We completely recognize that we're all full of doubts and fears and hurts and hang-ups and such. I'm as desperate for grace as everybody else. But the main reason we don't seek to control is because we believe real change is a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's not us. We're not the Holy Spirit. Not that we can't be a tool in that change. Not that God can't use us to help somebody um, uh, find a better way. But, but real change is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a fruit of a changed heart. And the Holy Spirit um, is the one who changes our hearts. So when someone you know, wants to come and study the Word together and they're a mess... They're in the right place. Like, where else would you rather them be? Someone comes in and they're the, the, the last thing you would think would walk into a church. Like, are you going to say, no, go somewhere else? Like, no, come hear the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Um, fill your minds with the Gospel, whatever shape you're in. And we trust that God and His Word are true and that uh, they and we will be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Um, well, this morning we're diving into the third H, our hands. And this is one of... What I fear is sorely lacking in our world today, um, which I think is a tragedy because it goes against our entire design. Um, oftentimes, the simplest explanation of the gospel is this. God made man. Man sinned against God, and this created a separation between God and man. And that separation would have been eternal. Hell enters the story. Um, so to fix that problem, God sent His Son Jesus to pay the price for our sins, so that we could be reunited with God and not be separated from Him for eternity, but instead spend eternity with God in heaven. So when we believe in Jesus, the separation is eliminated and we receive eternal life. That's like a pretty fair estimation of what we say the gospel is. Um, and it's fairly simplified, but that gets it. And I'm not saying anything in that explanation is wrong. I believe every word of it. But it leaves out a couple things that I think are really important. First, the get-out-of-hell-free card can actually be a really um, selfish decision. I mean, no one wants to spend eternity in hell, or if they're smart at all, they don't want to. And, and being excited that heaven is part of the gospel is a good thing. That's a great thing. But, but you don't even have to like Jesus at all, or, or want to honor God at all to want to escape hell. I think it's technically possible to hear about hell and hear that the way to escape hell um, is to answer an altar call, pray a prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, and, and then you're all good. And you, you could decide. That's a small price to pay to escape hell. I don't want to, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll do that. Like, I don't think it's about, oh, I don't want to burn, so I'll do what's good for me and accept Jesus. I don't think that's the gospel. The second problem I have with the, the kind of heaven-based, get-out-of-hell-free gospel is it doesn't have anything to say about our design, what we were made for, what God wired into us as humans. Way back at the beginning of the story, before there was sin, before there was brokenness, before there was death and shame and blame and struggle, God gave humans a job. He gave them things to do. It says, so God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry over the ground. God told Adam to bear His image in the world, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and finish the earth, and to reign over creation as His steward. This is actually what we've been digging into in our men's ministry. We're going to be diving into this. We're, we're naming our men's ministry the OG, just for original guys, the original guys, trying to find our original purpose, what God made us to be, um, trying to dig into our original design. But before anything went wrong in the story, God gave humans work to do with their hands. And though that work was damaged by sin, I think there's something essential to the gospel to recognize that our salvation is more than just a ticket to the good life someday in heaven. The salvation is about redemption. It's about fixing broken things. It's about, it's about making things better. We were broken and God redeemed us, which means He, He brought, He bought us back to our original purpose. To bear God's image. 
to, to be fruitful, which means to create, to make things, to, to make something that wasn't previously there, to multiply, which means to take something that is made and grow it and make it better and optimize it and, and improve on things. It says to fill the earth, but the Hebrew word is actually finish filling the earth. It's a, it's a, every other word time it's used in the scripture, it's about completing a task. And so it's about being like finishing things and, and completing things and, and to steward well. And sometimes that purpose, that work, that effort gets left out of the gospel story. That we were saved for something more than just heaven. And, and I totally believe in heaven. I'm not taking that out of the picture. And it's a, it's a, that's a beautiful part of the story, believe me. But we say believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. And I think that's a thin message that ignores what it means to be human. I think we believe in Jesus and we put our hands to the plow and do the work that we were created to do. So that when we wake up in the morning, we, we have purpose and reason to get up and do it again and do what we do. For me, the difference between the heaven-based gospel and the redemption-based gospel shows up in the first passage I was ever asked to memorize. Not long after committing kind of the direction of my life to Jesus, when Esther and I were still dating, I, I was in a sermon and the pastor read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he said, every Christian should have these two verses memorized. And I didn't, so I ran home that afternoon and I memorized those two verses. Those are the first two verses I ever memorized. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it. And that was my first two Bible verses I ever memorized. I went down, I went to college the next week, and, and there was a girl in one of my classes. She looked like she was super upset. It looked like she'd been crying. I asked if everything was okay. She started telling me about all of her problems. I started kind of witnessing to her, talking about some of the things that Jesus had done in my life. And she asked me three questions, and I was able to answer all three questions out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If she'd have asked me a fourth, I'd have been stumped. That was all I knew. That was all I had that day, and I knew nothing else. And luckily, the three questions she asked fit neatly into those two verses. She thought I was a Bible genius. And I've been pulling that trick ever since. Um, and... Uh, but they're beautiful verses. I love them. I still read them all the time. I agree that every Christian should memorize those. And it was probably 15 years. I quoted those two verses hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Just those two verses. Then one day, I have no idea what changed, but I was listening to my audio Bible, and the next verse jumped out at me as I heard those two verses that I'd quoted so many times. I had to open my Bible to see if it was even true because I'd never really paid attention to the fact that those two verses were next. And the whole thing together, I realized verse 10 is really, really important. It says, the very, very next verse says, For you are God's masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. That does not say, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's the way I memorized it back in the day. Different version. But it doesn't say, so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's not what it says. It doesn't say you've been saved by grace so that you don't go to hell. You've been saved by grace so that you can worship God for all eternity. It doesn't say any of those things. Paul says, God saved you so you can do the good things He planned for you from the beginning. I personally think that's a reference back to that Genesis 1 thing. He saved you. He redeemed you back to doing the things He called you to do in the very, very beginning. You were saved by grace to get your hands dirty and, and join the work. Last week we talked about Jesus' invitation to Peter. He says, then He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We talked last week about how he doesn't say, follow me and you can learn how to be fishers of men. Follow me and you can, you can, uh, you know, watch a YouTube video that'll show you how to be fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me and you can white knuckle yourself into this new role. He said, I will make you. That's that heart change we talked about that we don't do, that he recreates us into something else. But Jesus also doesn't say, I will make you ready for heaven. I will make you worthy of heaven. Those are both true. But what Jesus says is that He would make us workers. Fishers of men. I'll give you a new job. I'll put you to, to work. 
I'll make you something useful for the kingdom. Follow me and I will change you into something new so that you can work. And I don't think anything has changed. I think the, the invitation is the same today. I mean, I think the fishers and men thing was probably custom fit because he was talking to a group of fishermen. But I think you get the point. A huge part of the gospel is joining the work. I think we can see the apostles make this transition in the very first chapter in the book of Acts. We actually studied this in our family Bible study um, on Monday nights right now. At the beginning of the chapter, the disciples are uh, asked this really telling question. They say, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when are you, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is so great and easy to miss. But what happens is Jesus starts telling them about the Holy Spirit coming and to empower them. And, and, and they're like, sweet, great, yeah, when are you going to do the next big thing? Like, they're still watching. They're still, they're still observers. Like, I can't wait to see what you do next. Jesus is like, the Holy Spirit's about to come and empower you so you can do great things. They're like, awesome, that's super. When are you going to do the next cool thing? So at the beginning of the chapter, they're, they're completely observing um, uh, witnesses. They're just watching. I think that's the purpose of the ascension. If Jesus were here in person, who's going to come ask me for prayer? Like, or who's going to come listen to me preach if Jesus is in the next building? You can go listen to him preach. Go listen to him preach. Like, I think he knew if he stayed, they would never go. Like, they would just follow him and wait for him to do the next thing and just watch him. And yeah, they might point people toward him, but they're not going to do anything. Jesus' followers were never going to get to work if Jesus was here doing the work for them. And I think it works because by the end of that chapter, they're choosing someone to replace uh, Judas. And they quote some like really important prophetic passages. Like they recognize the, the weight of this decision. Like it's always been said there'll be 12 and that one of them was going to do these things. And now we have this huge decision to make. And they make it. They do it. Like Jesus isn't there. They don't just follow his lead. So at the beginning of the chapter, they're like, what are you going to do next? This is so cool. And by the end of the chapter, they're making enormous decisions for the kingdom of God on their own. Because they had recognized this is now for us to do. We're fully active participants. And this is a huge transition, but I honestly believe that that is exactly what is supposed to happen to each and every one of us. As we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus says, follow me and I'll change you and I'll make your work meaningful. So that's what I'm inviting us to do this morning. Join the work. You've been saved by grace for that. Purpose. And let me start by saying this. I'm not talking about like full-time ministry, like join the mission, become a fisher of men, go into the ministry, become a missionary, anything like that. I'm not saying anything like that. The original call to Adam wasn't to do ministry in the church. It was to work in the world, making things, optimizing things, multiplying things, you know, finishing things, completing things, leading and stewarding things. And I think those things happen in everyday life. And that's what we've been called to from the beginning. And every time I say that, it never fails. I get someone who says, yeah, but my industry doesn't really do anything redemptive. Like, what I do doesn't really mean anything. It, it doesn't matter. I'm a mechanic, or I work in a warehouse, or I have some job that, that isn't really church work. And here's what I say to that. First, your very first ministry is to your family. And feeding and providing for your family is a sacred and holy work. And every penny that goes toward that is sacred and holy. Don't ever feel like your work is not holy if you're using it to provide for your family. Second, if you want to add a meaning to your income, and somebody locked the door so nobody can get out, um, give. Fund ministry. Realizing that it takes money um, to, to make church happen and see it as a sacred ministry to go out in the world and earn money so that you can make ministry happen. Feed your family first. That's your first and most sacred ministry. But also help provide ministry. In fact, I'm not the kind of person that would ever like, ask someone to give more than they currently give. 
Like, hey, uh, you've been giving this much. I'd really love to see you giving this much. That's not something I will ever do. It's not me. But what I will do is I'll encourage you to go out and make more money so you can give more. Like, hey, like if, if, if you're comfortable with this percentage, awesome. Go make more so that that percentage goes up. And the, the amount you can spend will go up, like on you, will go up too. They go up together. But, I, but whatever percentage you're comfortable with, between you and God, I'm comfortable with that. But heck, you know, push hard. You know, do more stuff. Like, get a promotion if that's, if that's possible. Like, you know, the more you can make, the more you can, you can give to ministry, that's a good thing. And it, and, it, and it creates some purpose to why you're pushing hard. Because if you push super hard so you can have a new car, more stuff, a more comfortable life, um, that work will eventually start to feel empty. It will. You'll be like, why do I do this? Like, we've got everything we need. And, but when, when you set out to provide for as much ministry as you can, to bless as many people as you can, to see as many kids brought to Christ as, as possible, and you decide that, that you want to make an impact for the kingdom, and so you grind every day to make as much money to bless as many people as possibly, suddenly, not only do you have more money to provide for your family and have a more comfortable life and, and do things, because remember, as the giving percentage goes up, so does your other percentage. It all goes up together. So not only does life get easier, but you also feel this deep sense of purpose from that verse 10 of Ephesians 2. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm created anew in Christ Jesus so that I can do good things. And even if you can't give, I, I totally understand that. But it, I think it's appropriate to set a goal. Like, God, I want to make more so I can give. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder so that I can give because I can't right now. That, and it will infuse a goal with purpose and meaning. You have a, mean, a reason to, to, to get out and do it. The early church in the book of Acts sold stuff so they could give. And I'm not suggesting you do that, but I'm saying it's totally appropriate to go to God and say, hey, I want to give more. I can't right now, God, so, so help me to, to, to grind, to find something new, to work hard with my hands, to, to do what I need to do so that I can give. And then work your butt off. Not, not you know, to, so, so I don't think it's, it's appropriate to go, you need to sacrifice more so you can give. But I think God made us to work. And I think recognizing that our work can do good, it can feed our family, and it can provide for ministry, um, I, think it's, I think that gives our work meaning. So, if you want your work to be meaningful, whatever work you do, commit to using part of it to provide for ministry. I know that every time you give, you're tapping into to your kind of deep God-given purpose to do good things. And here's a couple caveats. First, um, we talked last week about growing in generosity. As the Holy Spirit kind of changes and softens your heart, you should find yourself just growing more generous. Um, if you aren't, go to God and ask why not. Like, God, why am I not just feeling more generous? Um, this isn't uh, so much about today, isn't so much about that kind of generosity. That's something that's in your heart you need to talk to God about. Um, this is more about the discipline of giving, of using giving um, to infuse your work with purpose um, but as you go closer to Jesus, you will grow in generosity. But this is about discipline, working hard and adding meaning um, to your work. Second, second caveat, I'm not just asking for more money for Open Table. Honestly, it takes a lot of money to make church happen, and our budget here at church is super tight, even upside down a little right now. Um, but this, this, So we can use money always. Um, but I know many of us have wounds when it comes to money in church. Um, and especially with giving. And, and I have no intention of deepening those wounds. Um, I hate talking about money. I don't do it often. I do as little as possible. But the Bible is full of passages of the people of God providing for the ministry of God. It happens from almost day one. It's inseparable. And so I wouldn't be teaching the full counsel of the gospel if I didn't force it into a sermon every once in a while. I have to talk about it. So please, if you ever feel like I'm just trying to get your money, um, don't give here. Give somewhere else. Like you can totally be a part of church here and, and give to another ministry if it makes you feel uncomfortable, like I'm asking for your money. Like, because that's not it. Like, we could use your money, don't get me wrong. But I don't want you to ever feel like church is me trying to leverage you um, for money. So don't allow your wounds to get in the way of your generosity. Because I still think even if you don't give here, you need to give. It's for your soul. Um, so if you've got wounds about money and church, 
Um, do not allow those wounds to keep you from giving. Find a person to give to or find a ministry to give to. You need to give for your own heart and soul. Um, it is, it's a discipline that I think is healthy and grows us and changes us. Um, so although, you know, we love when people give, don't get me wrong, um, I don't want you to ever um, kind of allow that to keep you from, you know, your wounds of the past to keep you from growing in generosity. But we were created to do work. And far too often I hear kind of people lament that their work feels meaningless. Uh, and it's just a way of getting a paycheck. Uh, and if you struggle with that at all, I believe the easiest way to fix it is to commit part of your income to, to doing good things. And, and to know that uh, I go to work every day so that I can do good things. Um, my One of my mottos for years was that I just worked to, to provide for my gospel habit. Um, that was kind of what I said for years. I've, I've done volunteer ministry for years and years and years and years, and I worked full time while doing it. And people would ask, you know, what I do, and I was like, I just work to provide for my gospel habit. Um, and uh, and so I I think it's important. I think it gives our work meaning. Um, third caveat: I know there are far more ways to give than just financial. So please don't think I'm only thinking financial either, which is what we're going to get into next. Um, but yeah, the the working to provide for the gospel, I think, fills our work with meaning and purpose. Um, but so if you if you work hard and you can't get money right now, do not feel even a little bit of shame. I get that. That's providing for your own family is sacred, and that comes first. Um, and so that is ministry, and it's important um, to recognize that. And there are other ways to give. It takes a lot of people to make Open Table happen. Um, it, it, there's an army in the basement right now um, making that happen. I don't know if you've ever looked around during worship and felt like there's a lot of people here. And then we release the kids, and you're like, where did everybody go? Um, not only did a, did a very big group of kids leave, but it takes a lot of adults down there um, to pull that off. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot. And so... Um, and so there are a lot of places to join in. Downstairs we have the nursery, the preschool, the elementary space, Cafe 56. We also have teenagers who are serving in almost every space. There's a lot of uh, amazing things that go on um, down there. On top of that, we've got youth group on Wednesday nights, uh, which is 6th to 12th grade. Um, we meet on Wednesdays. Uh, I've talked a lot about youth group over the past couple months since camp. Um, but it's amazing to see what God's doing in that group. It's amazing to see it growing and the kids, uh, Eve just the other day, um, Eve's one of those people who, you know, because our kids are homeschooled, she'd walk around, I don't have any friends, I, I've got like one friend, I've got no friends. The other day she was trying to explain her friend group, um, I think to Samuel, and she's like, well, the four of us are always together, but then we also have to hang out with this person. And by the time she was done, she had named the whole youth group, like 15 people. Like, we don't really like leave anybody out. I think that's per, pretty much everybody's my friend group. Like, and she was just jabbering about how many friends she has now. And it, it's fun to watch the kids grow like that, grow closer together and, and to see God do amazing things. We're taking 20 kids um, to the youth conference in October, which is super exciting for us, you know, to be dragging 20 kids down to jump up and down and sing about Jesus and listen to some great content. Um, super exciting. Um, we have students leading worship, students praying out loud in front of each other, um, uh, uh, in front of everyone, and just the way the group is moving together is is awesome. Um, it's It's fun to watch them grow. Uh, it's inspiring. I'm, I'm excited to get to be a part of it. Um, and every bit of that fun of watching God um, work, and it's also fun watching God work on our adult volunteers. Like they're growing and, and reaching out and doing new things, which is exciting. They're stretching and, and, uh, and, uh, and God's working on them as well, which is super cool. Um, I can't say enough about what goes on downstairs in the basement. But a big part of the success of, of having uh, an awesome youth group comes from our Cafe 56 class, um, which is cool. Uh, in Cafe 56, Sunday mornings, I wrote the curriculum a few years ago, and it's based on just the whole narrative arc of the Bible. So the kids in there for two years, they're going to go through the entire Bible in two years. Um, and, and they do, it's constant review. So usually by the end, they can almost tell you the full narrative arc of Scripture hitting the high points all the way through. Um, if they stay through 7th and 8th grade, they're going to get it twice. They're going to go through the whole Bible twice. I can't tell you how much nicer it is in youth group to have kids that walk in knowing the, the basic arc of the Bible. It makes it a lot easier to teach and, and work with kids who have been through that. 
it really helps in youth with the kids coming in that they know the Bible pretty well, um, which is cool. So, uh, so a lot hangs on that Cafe 56 class. And of course, Cafe 56 builds on what happens in the elementary class. Um, we teach so many Bible stories and kind of deep devotional lessons in, in that class in the kids' table. A lot of times they're learning exactly what we're learning. We write the curriculum, so a lot of times we'll write it, a kid version of what we're learning up here. We'll write for our kids down there. Um, the kids' table is loud and it's fun and it, and it, our focus is always making church a net positive. We want the kids someday when they get to make their own decision to come to church to remember church as that place where people loved me and cared about me and we had a good time. Like just to feel good about church. And we aim our kids' ministry, our elementary, around that. We want this to be a net positive feeling um, when they're here. And so we, we aim that kind of positive emotional connection at, at those kids. There's a place where I was loved and, and people were nice and, and, and upbeat, treated well. And the kids' tables fed by our preschool class. Esther fell in love with this curriculum years ago that, that um, hinges on kids' wonder. It plays on their wonder. I wonder what Jesus was, was uh, wearing you know, when this story took place. And, it, and you, you ask a bunch of wondering questions. You know, I wonder. And the kids learn to ask questions and wonder. It's really fun. It's a great curriculum for that fun age. And, of course, for that, we have to have a good nursery um, here at OTCC because I think there's something in the water. Like, we just have a lot of babies here. Um, I don't know. And, uh, and every time, like, the, the babies, like, move up into preschool, it, it's like a month, and there's a whole new crop of babies. Um, and so uh, I still love when, uh, I think Lori's downstairs, when Lori got pregnant um, with his last one, uh, they thought they were completely done. And uh, and so she kind of panicked a little bit when she got pregnant, and she came out and goes, "I think it's because I hugged Esther last week." <laughs> she, she was convinced that, that that's what did it. But um, <laughs> but it takes a lot of people to make all of that stuff happen. We've got amazing things happening downstairs. We have a lot of kids here at Open Table, which is super cool. To have that, and it comes with frustrations too. Don't get me wrong; I'm not immune. I stand up here and lecture everybody about about staying focused and praying when there's a kid making noise. I struggle with it too. Like, don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm a hypocrite every time I'm on this stage. So don't don't think I'm saying that I've got that all together. Um, but most of us, as as much as kids can get on our nerves sometimes, love the fact that there's young people in our church. Man, if you go to a church and there's no young people um, and it's full of amazing people, it still has that weird, sad, like, man, they need young people. They need, they need youth. They need that life. Um, so uh, we could use help. We can always, always use help. And if you already serve, please don't say I'm, I'm like asking you to serve more, like sign up for more things. Like, oh, boy, I'm already serving, but he wants me to do more. Um, that's not what I'm trying. I'm not trying to pressure anybody to do anything. I'm just saying if you don't help, maybe this is your time to dive in and uh, and help out with the kids. Um, you know, the nursery, we're always working to get people in the nursery, and that's holding babies. And, and, uh, and we even have the parents' room down there where we can put the TV on. And put the service down there where you can watch the service while you hold a baby. Like it's a, um, if you don't serve anywhere else, it's, it's pretty easy to jump in there. Or if you'd rather herd cats, I mean, fifth and sixth graders, um, we've got Cavi 56 too, as always down there. Um, we could always use help downstairs. Um, and we can always use help on our worship team. That's our other thing. We have people that tend to look up here and think, oh, they've got so many people. Um, you know, we work on a rotation. There are people that, uh, that would love it. So if you sing or play an instrument, talk to us about it. You know, just let us know. And, uh, um, and, and we'll be the judge uh, of if we could use you or not. Chances are we could use you. Um, let us know. Um, we can always use tech people. That's another one where it happens every week. They make it happen. And so people have a tendency to go, oh, they don't need any help back there. I asked Brett, you know, if he wanted to volunteer somewhere else. And he was like, we would have to get more tech people because I'm like busy from the second I get here um, to the second I leave. And, and it is a tough one because you've got to show up early. You've got to uh, learn the stuff. Um, but Brett would love to train somebody so he can volunteer in other places. Um, Reg, it's not uncommon for Reg to have to work on Sunday to come in set the sounds for the for the online stream and then bolt just to get to work you know barely on time um, we could we could teach that um, and and so if you if you like tech if you like sound if you want to try it um, 
We've got people that are atmosphere team. Um, it's another one you have to show up early, but, uh, but someone comes to make the coffee and print out things for the classes. By someone, I mean Jess and Matt every single week. Um, and, uh, and yeah, if that's you and you don't mind coming early to make some coffee, and a big part of the atmosphere team is while you're making coffee and while you're printing things off, praying for the service. Changing the atmosphere of the room with your prayers, listening to us practice worship and, and praying. I, um, back at the Methodist Church, I haven't been able to do it here, but, um, you know, we used to, I used to come in on Monday nights. I haven't done this in a while. I need to. And lay hands on every chair in the place and just, God, whoever sits here, you know, just let them feel your spirit. And, and so you can do that. Come early and pray for the space. It's important. Um, change the spiritual atmosphere of our church. We call it our atmosphere team because we believe that's what they, they do. And outside Sunday mornings, we got work to do out there. Um, people come in weekly to clean the building. Um, I think we're on a five or six week rotation. Um, but we could always use more people to jump in and, and help clean the space if that's you. Um, youth on Wednesday nights, we could never have too many volunteers loving on kids. Um, if that's you, you know, you can sign up for that. Um, and there's one more form of ministry that's important. And, and, uh, I'm being completely serious here. And that's the ministry of presence. Um, that is showing up. Uh, you might think when you decide, you know, not to come to church on a Sunday morning that no one notices. I can tell you that's not the fact. Um, this room, the energy in this room is different when you're here or when you're not here. Um, and we notice that. Your presence ministers to everyone else. Um, when you smile, it, it's contagious. It, it, it affects other people. When you worship, you're teaching kids to worship. Um, even when, when the kids are rowdy, like they still see that there are adults with their hands in the air or with, you know, singing words and they're learning by example how worship happens and what's supposed to go on in church. And so when you're here, you're being an example to those kids on this is what adults do. They worship. Um, when you pray, you're teaching people to pray. Um, when you say hello or welcome someone, um, that might be the first nice thing they've heard this week. Um, it's not uncommon, you know, to walk in and, and to church and people are being nice and it's just like, oh man, it feels good to be back with my people. That's, that's important and you affect that when you come. Your presence is ministry. Um, you, it's not the same place when you're not here. Um, and I'm here every single week and I can testify to that. Like I, I can tell, you know, when, when you're here and when you're not. Your, your presence ministers to your whole church family. Um, and, and we have this tendency to view church as a commodity and we're consumers. Like I need to go in and get my sermon. I need to do, you know, what do I need? Do I get my needs? You know, and we don't, we forget that we're also giving. Just by coming, you're giving your presence to somebody and that's important. Um, and in case I haven't st- said it for a while, church starts at 10 on the dot, maybe even a little early. And see, so I had some people chuckle. Um, don't fall into the trap of thinking just because music starts at 10.07 or 10.10 that that's when church starts. Because coming in and saying hello to people, fellowship, the church starts the second there are two or three gathered. And, and we may not start music till 10.10, but all of that stuff that happens before is church. It's fellowship, and it's important. It's important to come and say hello to each other. It's important to come and, and, and hug somebody's neck. Paul called it a holy kiss. Like it's, it's important to, to minister um, together. All those good mornings and how was your weeks and all those, that's church, and it's important. So don't think, well, church doesn't start till they're late every week. We're not late. Church is happening at 10. You're late. Um, church is, the second there are two or three here, church is happening. And we might not start the music till 10, but that's not the only thing that's church. That's just a piece of church. Um, and, uh, and so you can come at 10 and drink some coffee and say hello to your church family and we're having, that's church. Um, when we release the kids and we tell everyone to greet someone, that's church. That's an important moment. Shake someone's hand and, and let them know you love them. Um, sometimes when we're standing up here and getting ready to start our fourth song and everybody's talking to everybody, it's really hard to break that up sometimes. Sometimes it's like, you know, I, like I love, man, everybody's like engaged in, with each other. Like I almost want to just skip that fourth song and say, let's just talk, you know, because everybody's enjoying it. That's church and it's an important piece. Um, and we don't get enough of it. Anyway, please don't underestimate the power of your presence, the ministry that your presence is to your church family. And that goes for the stuff that we do outside of here. Women's ministry. Um, they have a, uh, come on in guys. 
Did I go long? Oh, there are they lined up already? Am I long? I don't even know what time it is. What day is it? Um, women's ministry get together weekly. The OG men are starting to meet monthly, and we're going to uh, we're going to continue to do that. Maybe even more. We're cranking up small groups again. I'm super excited about that. Um, in fact, if you're interested in any of those men's ministry small groups, um, if you weren't at the first thing but you want to still be a part of the men's ministry. Uh, make sure you sign up small groups. If you're interested in small groups, joining a small group, sign up in that. Um, and women's ministry, uh, sign up for that. Um, we had a powerful night of worship on on uh, on Good Friday uh, last spring, and and we want to do that. We want to invite some other churches to that. So we're trying to get those going, um, and we're hoping to do a couple of short-term classes um, for some requests that we've had this year. I know that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. Um, and I know we're all crazy busy, so we're not going to overload anybody. We're not asking anybody to sign up for everything. We just want you to know your presence matters. And when you have an opportunity sharing that presence with other people, when you show up for things, they're better. They're better when you're there. Um, so whether it's by giving or by serving here in the church or just by showing up, or hopefully all three, um, I invite you to buy in, um, to buy in to Open Table Community Church. Join the work. God saved you for that purpose. So how do we respond to this? I'm going to move really quickly. Um, I did a wedding last week, uh, and uh, and I did an element in it that I do pretty often called blessing the hands, where I have the couple um, look at each other's hands while I give them this blessing. And usually they're young, and their hands are young, and it's always weird because I'm looking at my hands that aren't young while I'm looking at their hands, and... Uh, and the the bride's fingers are always nicely done, and and uh, and and uh, and I work construction, so I got scars all over mine. And my wife cooks all the time and loves to slice and dice her fingers on a regular basis. Um, I'm kidding; she's pretty coordinated with a knife. But it's incredible how much history shows in our hands. How you can look back at, and Esther can almost tell the story of every scar on my hand, um, on my hands. And and I love that metaphor. Um, because what if you and I really are the hands of Jesus? What if we, we really are here to serve and bless and, and support in Jesus' stead the world with our scars and our scratches and our damage and our doubts? What if all the junk we've been through is less about our hard times that we've endured and instead it's more about the fact that despite it all, we're still here? And, we, and we're coming, and we're coming beat up, and we're coming scarred, and we're coming scratched. And some of us are coming wrinkled. Maybe, maybe a little worse for the wear, but we're still showing up. And maybe that testifies to God's faithfulness and His goodness. I know my hands show my life. They show a lot. And I think it's the same. So be blessed, hands of Jesus. So here's the deal. Um... There's a health cycle that feeds on itself. It takes healthy people to create a healthy community. And it takes a healthy community to grow healthy people. And, and the healthier we get individually, the healthier our, healthier our community gets, the easier it is to help other people become healthy. And so we want to, uh, that's what we want to create, a healthy place for people to get healthy, to help other people get healthy, to create a healthier place, and on and on and on and on. Our desire is to be a healthy community that creates healthy people.